You know, one of our greatest needs in our life as humans is the need to feel valuable, to feel worth something. Deep down inside every one of us, we want to be valued. And so the question is, how do you find your value in your life? Like, where do you find, you know, your self-worth in your own personal life? For a lot of us, it may be you find your value in how you look. And so you try to look a certain way or pose yourself in a certain way to other people so it would make you feel valuable about yourself. For some of us, maybe what we've accomplished. Look at my degrees, look at you know, the certificates, look at the corporate ladder, look at my title, look what I've accomplished in my life. And so therefore I found value in my accomplishments. And if I accomplish great things and I feel good about myself, but if I don't accomplish anything, then I feel less about myself. For some of us, we find value in how well we're liked. Do people like us? And do you like me? And do I, you know, and what does people think about me? And so I find my value in what your, your perception of me. And so I will hang on to that as my self-worth. Or, or maybe for you, what do you own? What are your accolades? What's your little kingdom? The things, your possessions that you've acquired. And, and now look at all the things that I've possessed over my life and therefore I feel valuable because my possessions are valuable. And that brings value to me. So the question is, I wanna ask you this morning is, as how do you see yourself? Like how do you perceive yourself and where do you find your self-worth? Is it found in what other people think about you? Or maybe what other people say about you and therefore your value is found in that? Could it be what you think about yourself? And when you think good about yourself, you feel like you have worth and value, but the days that you feel toxic about yourself or negative thoughts about yourself, therefore you don't feel valuable. Or is our value found maybe in through God's eyes and what God thinks of us? And for, for spoiler alert, I'll just go in and tell you that the, our foundation of self-worth is not found in what people think about us and not even what we think of really about ourselves or the things that we have. Our value is found, our self-worth is found in what God thinks about us. And a lot of times, though, we don't know what God thinks about us. Like, is God mad at me? Is he, does he love me? Does he don't love me? And am I pleasing God and not pleasing God? Or, and I did that little thing. Is that a big thing? And, and so we really don't value on how God sees us. And so there's a story found in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 19. I'll be using the New Living Translation if you have your app. And, and in this story, it's a very, very familiar story. If you've been in church before, I promise you you've heard this story. If you raised in Sunday school, I know you have heard this story uh, before because in this, this story, we find out really a lot of things. There's so many ways we could go with it, but just as we unpack it, keep it in the context of where this guy finds his value and he finds his worth. And then what does Jesus think about him? Because when you encounter Jesus, when you have an encounterment with him, listen, you will never be the same. And so in verse one in Luke 19, let's, let's start right here. So if you're ready to get started, so let's go. All right, here we go. Verse one, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Now, just note real quick, the scripture is written that Jesus didn't plan to stay there the way it's written that he was going through the town. He was just on his way through, going to the next. He, had no, he didn't want to stay and have a whole revival meeting or plan anything. He's just on his way going through town. In verse two, there was a man there named Zacchaeus. 
He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich and he tried to get a look at Jesus, but because he was, or but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. So today I wanna talk to you about this guy named Zacchaeus. Now again, like I said, if you've been in Sunday school, there's a name about him. I mean, a a song about him, like Zacchaeus was a wee little man, wee little man was he, climbed up a sycamore tree. I don't know the rest of the story because I wasn't raised in Sunday school, don't judge me, okay? So I don't know how, I don't know the rest of the song, how it goes. But this is a guy that I know you've heard about before if you've been around the church world at any, any bit. And so Zacchaeus was a, a lot of things, and we see here in the text, the one, he was a tax collector. And being a tax collector, I mean, he was hated by all his Jewish friends. So here's how this would work. If you were wealthy, you went to an auction, and Rome would come down because Israel's under the Roman authority right now for tax purposes and government. And so you would go, and Rome would would come to an auctioneer place, and an auction place, and then the auctioneer would get up, and they would auction off certain providences of the land for you to go and collect taxes. Well, you knew that this was a way for you to make some pretty easy money. And so you would come up to attack, you would come up and then a guy would start auctioning off and can I get, you know, this providence for this? And so Zacchaeus was one of the guys who won the bid to collect taxes in this area. And so what he would do is he would go and he would rob people, rob you, rob me of our taxes, put it in his pocket, and then he rendered to Caesars what was Caesars and sent Rome the tax that was needed. So he was the middleman, if you want to say, and he was the one that was robbing his people. And so to be a tax collector in the first century, there were like two categories of sin. There were the sinners, and then there were those who were actually even closer to hell called the tax collectors. If you read the scripture, it says there were tax collectors and sinners, which means tax collectors had their own category of sin. Like that's how bad and notorious this guy would have been. Why? Because he cheated you. And he turned his back on Israel, which means he turned his back on God, he turned it back on his family, he's committed treason, he's cheating the people, and instantly, instantly, his family leaves him, family members leave him, he's kicked out of church, no longer welcome in the synagogue, he's now defiled and unclean, and the people could not stand him. Even though he had everything money could buy, he had all the money. The Bible says he's very rich. He had everything money could buy. He's still missing something in his life. And not only is he a tax collector, the Bible tells us he was the chief tax collector, which means he ran the entire Ponzi scheme. He was the one in control of every single bit of it. But he's still lacking something. And then on top of it, Luke wants us to know that he was short in stature, which probably, which we don't know the reason to add that in there, except for there's a backstory to Zacchaeus. You remember the little short guy, as Luke writes, as he's doing a detailed valuation of the life of Jesus, the one who was the notorious sinner, the tax collector, the one people made fun of, the one people called names because of his height. In fact, this guy had no status in the community that they didn't like him so much that he wasn't even willing to go in the midst of the crowd to ask the crowd to move away so he could see Jesus. He had to find an alternative way to encounter Jesus or to even get a glimpse at Jesus. But for him to want to pursue Jesus means this. There's something in his life he wanted to change. Isn't it amazing you can have everything that money could buy, you can have everything you ever wanted in this world, and you still lack something? 
He's still missing something in his life. But how do you start over? Where do you start over? How does it even happen? So what does he do? He goes, looks for Jesus. Look at verse four. So he ran ahead. Let me stop right there real quick and say this. You do, old men do not run in the first century. They don't run. Because to run, you wore a robe. And to run, you'd have to pull your robe up. And when you pulled your robe up, you exposed the upper thighs of your legs. And therefore, when people saw that, that was kind of like unrighteous to them. It was, in a, it was, in a, it was, a, it was a way to say, you're disgusting yourself. You, you should not do that. It's dishonoring to you and your family for you to do that. So men didn't run. So Luke wants to know he ran which means he didn't care what anybody thought about him. What does he do? He climbed into a sycamore fig tree next to the road, and when Jesus was going to pass by that way, Jesus came and he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. See, the fascinating thing, he thought he was pursuing Jesus, but Jesus was pursuing him. He thought he was looking for Jesus, but Jesus was looking for him. Why? Because Jesus noticed him. This outcast, this sinner, the one who's been kicked out of church, Jesus goes right up to him and knew exactly where he was, and he noticed him. Here's a thought. No, no, no matter how insignificant you feel, no matter how insignificant you feel about yourself, what you think about other people think about you, here's what you need to know. Jesus notices you. He knows everything about you. You may come here on Sunday morning and, or maybe you're online, you're watching and you kind of like, hey, come in and get this Jesus thing on or like check church off the box and maybe I can hide in such a large crowd and all this stuff. I'm here to tell you, Jesus notices you. He knows everything about you. He's never one time forgotten any thought, anything, any action you've ever done. He knows every tear, every pain, every success, every good time, every bad time. He knows everything about you. And watch this. His eye has never, ever been taken off of you. So this lets you sit in on that for a moment that you need to know this, that Jesus, that Jesus notices you and has not forgotten about you. But here's something else I wanna point out to you. That no matter what other people think about you, no matter what other people say about you, is that Jesus loves you. He lived in a society where people point finger, made fun of him because of his height. There goes the notorious sinner, the tax collector, the one who's committed treason, the one who's, could you imagine walking in your community and people would yell at you, unclean, undef you know, defiled, you traitor. You serve Rome, not the people of God. Could you imagine every single day of a, though you had all the money, though you had everything money could buy, you still lacked something. And this is what's so fascinating, but not only does God notice where you are, watch this, he knows who you are and he loves you. So he walks up to the tree and he looks up in the tree and guess what he says? He says, Zacchaeus. Now, this is very important, this is very important. Because back in the Bible day, to name your kid something mean a couple of things. One, you would name your kid what you're going through at that moment in your life. So if, if, if you're going through a heartache or times, a lot of times the kid would get the name what you're going through or the pain. Or you would name your kid a name that you would hope their character they would grow into and they would become. Now, it's completely different today how we name people, right? I mean, we name people. If you, I know in our family we had four kids, and so when you name people, you sit down and you start picking out the names, right? You get the boy's name, the girl's name, and then you, you narrow it down, and, and you found the name that you like, and you say, honey, I like this name. What do you think about that name? And all of a sudden, you just see her. 
That foot starts tapping. I'm like, okay, what's up? She goes, we can never name our kid that. I'm like, why? I like this name. Because in second grade, this boy pushed me down on the playground, and I despise him to this day. And that's why you didn't name, right? Or you come up with another name, you're like, no, my meanest teacher in school was named that. I could never think about her ever, so we cannot name, right? So we start getting upset about some of you laughing because you've been there before, you're trying to pick out names, and you couldn't agree to how you're gonna brand your kid for the rest of their life. Well, not in the Hebrew. It's very important. You thought about it, it's a reason for it. There's a really true meaning behind it, not just because you liked how it sounded. Zacchaeus means righteous one. It means pure one. When you hear the name, when they spoke it, that's what you hear is what it means, because there's some meaning behind the name. Now picture this, Jesus walking through town. Notorious sinner who has his own classification of sins. Kicked out of church out of society, family leaves him. Jesus walks up in the tree and says, hey, righteous one, pure one, come down. It'll make sense. Why would Jesus call him that? One, it's his name, but here's what I love about Jesus. It's not only does he know our past and sees our past, we're not defined by our past, but what the potential we could be. And he sees and says, you're the righteous one, you're a pure one, come on, man, come on down. When, and I can imagine I'm more than that there, but when are you gonna live up to your name? How can you be righteous and pure, but you're robbing all these people? You're oppressing the people, and you're robbing them, and you're cheating, and you're stealing from them. So Jesus does something that is so shocking that if we were first century Jews, and we were there at this time listening to this, we would be so disgusted about what's about to take place. Right, here comes Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, the rabbi, the one who's gonna lead us into the promise that God has for us and overthrow Rome, because they were looking for a warrior. And they thought this is what this king was gonna do. And then Jesus says this in verse five. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name, righteous one, pure one, he said, quick, come down, I must be a guest in your home today. And Zacchaeus was like, what? He quickly climbed down a tree, took Jesus to his house, and in great excitement and joy, he went to his house. Listen to me, rabbis don't go to notorious sinners' homes who's committed treason, who's turned their back on God's people and God, who's unclean and defiled. For Jesus to go in as a rabbi and eat the food of this notorious sinner's house would have made him defiled in the people's sight and in God's sight. For him to have slept all night and stayed in and under the same roof of this notorious sinner would have made him completely unclean. And he would have had to go to the temple and perform the ceremonial rituals to make sure he was clean again. And here's Jesus walking into a city, just passing by and was willing, willing to remove all the hostility towards this one man that people had and bared it on himself and took all the shame to walk into this notorious sinner's home so that he would pursue him and encounter him and someday see his life change. Look what happens in verse seven. This would have been you, this would have been me because we wouldn't have known any better. Look what happened. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest 
of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. And before we throw stones at them, we probably would have done the same thing. Because we don't understand the impact of working so hard and having one of our own people rob us and cheat us on our taxes. Therefore, we had to do double time and work even harder just to make ends meet. He oppressed the people so bad, you would have sat there and you would have wrote some pretty nasty things about him on Facebook too. And then something happens. We have no idea what takes place between verse seven and verse eight. But somewhere between verse seven and verse eight, a miracle takes place. I don't know if Jesus stood up and preached a sermon and they went through four stanzas of just as I am and he gave an invitation to Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus was saved, I have no idea. I don't know if he preached a Bible study, a sermon, he quoted something, but something happened between verse seven and verse eight that miraculously changed Zacchaeus that's not recorded in the scriptures. Verse eight, it says this, meanwhile, let me tell you something, miracles happen in the meanwhile. And if you're in a meanwhile right now with God and you're in a meanwhile in between, listen to me, something is about to take place in your life. There's always miracles in the meanwhile. Meanwhile, between verse seven and eight, we don't know what happened. Zacchaeus decided he's gonna stand up and testify. All right, what is he gonna testify about? Look what he says. Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, and if I cheated anybody on their taxes, I will give them four times back everything I've ever took from them. Now, if you're outside the house and you heard that, you're like, it's about time. I'm gonna go to, you know, get me a steak. You know, this is crazy. Like, I got some shopping spree. You've been robbing me. Give me my money back. So he stands up and he says, I'm gonna bless the poor. I'm gonna pay everyone back that I cheated on my taxes, which is amazing. And what's really fascinating is the law required if you cheated someone, you're to pay them back. And it even tells you, it tells you how much you have to pay them back. But he goes past the law. He goes exceedingly further than what the law required and says, listen to this, I'll give you four times more back for everybody I've ever cheated. Now what happened between verse seven and eight? I'm gonna tell you, he got a new belief. How do I know that? Because he stands up with new behaviors. And when you get a new belief, when you get a belief about Jesus, it would change how you behave. Listen to me, and I don't mean this to be mean to you, but if you say you believe in Jesus and it's never changed your life, you got the wrong belief. Because if you believe in Jesus and you follow Jesus, it cannot but help change your life. That's what repentance means. I turn my mind towards God, which shifts my heart towards God, which turns my feet, which is my actions, my behavior towards God. How do I know I believe? It changes me. Not that you're perfect, you're never gonna be perfect. But when I believe in Jesus, it should change my behaviors and how I behave, and it did. Because now this loving relationship is compelled by love, watch this, that changes him and motivates him to obedience. And so somewhere between verse seven and eight, he believed. You are the Messiah. You are the King of Kings. You are the anointed one. You are the Christ. 
And I believe that so much, it's gonna change me. And I'm gonna give a declaration of change. Now it's easy to stand up and say that. It's easy to stand up and say, I'm gonna do this. And everybody's like, okay, I guess we never know if you do that, but thanks for sharing that. But Jesus, who knows all things, confirms and affirms that what he said he will do, he will do. And he tells us that in verse nine. Look what he says. Salvation has come to this home. Now listen, if salvation has come, that means someone had to bring it. Jesus brought deliverance. That's what that word salvation means, deliverance to his home. For this man truly is a true son of Abraham. Man, there's so much time if we had to unpack all that, what that really means. But see, as a descendant of Abraham and now kicked out of the family, kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of the people, you've turned your back on God's people, Jesus declares him a true son of Abraham. Now what's Abraham known for? Abraham is the father of faith. God told him to go, he didn't know where he was going, and by faith he went, and by faith he believed, and by faith he trusted. So when we as first century Jews heard Abraham, we said, man, he's a man of faith. And what Jesus says, this man is a true man of faith. One, it saved him. Salvation has come through his faith. And number two, he will do every single thing. See, God already knows the future. Jesus already knew what's gonna happen. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows when you're gonna breathe your last breath. He knows how, what your day is gonna be like tomorrow. He knows everything about you. And he says, listen, this guy by faith will restore and will give exactly what he said he will give. And he confirms it by affirming who he is. And then here it is, one of the most, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible. Verse 10, for the Son of Man, that's an Old Testament Messiah term. For the Son of Man came to do what? I come to seek and to save people like Zacchaeus. See, when everyone turns their back on you and you find yourself worth in what you think about yourself, I'm no good, I'm short, I'm a thief. To what other people think about you, you're a traitor, you're a notorious sinner, you're a chief tax collector by your title. Jesus comes and defines us as his true family. Why? Because he came to seek and to save us who have been separated from him, who are far off from him, which means this, no matter what you've ever done in your life, Jesus will forgive you. I mean, you probably don't have your own classification of sin. Zacchaeus does. And Jesus forgave him, restored him. Watch this, because he loved him. And the same salvation that was delivered into the house of Zacchaeus is the same salvation that's here today. His name is Jesus. I can't save you, you can't even save yourself. The only way you'll be delivered is because of Jesus. He is the one who initiates this relationship with you. 
See, you may be here today because you think you're pursuing God or pursuing the things of God. But the, the reality is Jesus is pursuing you. Listen to this, let me encourage you this morning. No matter what baggage you bring in here, no matter what problems you have in your life right now, no matter what is going on in your mind and in your life, listen to me. You would not be here today if Jesus were not pursuing you. Because nothing within you wants you to seek after God or the things of God or definitely get to hear God's word in your life. So for you to be here today, you should be encouraged that he woke you up, the Holy Spirit drawed you here, even though you're trying to make excuses not to come. He wanted you to be here because he's pursuing you, because he notices you. He knows who you are, he knows where you are, and he wants a relationship with you. And if he has a relationship with you, and because sin has entered into your life and has broken the fellowship with him, he brought you here today, listen to me, watch this, for you to repent, to restore your fellowship with him. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads just for a moment. Jesus wanted you here today because he wanted to encounter you. He wanted your path to the cross in some form or fashion. Even if you're already giving your life to Jesus, he wants you because there's something he wants to communicate. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, any of our campuses or if you're watching online, please hear me. The Holy Spirit brought you to this place right now for this one moment for you to realize how much God loves you how he's willing to forgive you. And that because your paths have crossed today, if you will encounter Jesus and see Jesus and repent of your sin, and in the meanwhile, between verse seven and eight, give your life to Jesus, change your belief about Jesus. Listen, your life will be radically saved, which means delivered. So how do you see yourself this morning? Do you see yourself through the eyes of other people? Zacchaeus did, he's a notorious sinner, they said. Do you see yourself through your own eyes? Zacchaeus did, I'm short, I'm a thief, and I'm no good. Or do you see yourself through God's eyes? You are loved, you're forgiven. You're accepted. How do you get that? How do you have that? Because listen, your worth is not found in your appearance or your achievements or the approval of other people or your affluence. It's only found in Jesus. And today you have that opportunity, just like Zacchaeus, that salvation deliverance could be yours. The scripture says this, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be delivered. You will be saved from God's wrath and from your sins. Who would neglect such a wonderful salvation? And if that's you just in a moment, 
your campus pastor or host, they're gonna come out and they're gonna share with you how to take your next step. Because if you've encountered Jesus today, the mission of our church, his mission is to seek and to save you. I can't save you, you can't even save yourself. God initiated every relationship in the Bible and also with you. But our mission is to partner, to come alongside you when the Holy Spirit does and help you take your next steps. And then maybe you're just here this morning and you've allowed sin to come into your life and break this fellowship with God. And he's like, wait, 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 I wanna come in. Your heart restored this fellowship. I wanna eat with you, I wanna live with you. I wanna do life with you. And in the meanwhile today, you can turn from your sin and restore that fellowship with your heavenly Father. God, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for saving Zacchaeus. Thank you, God, that 2,000 years later, we get to read a story about a notorious outcast sinner and realize there's hope for us, that you notice us, that you pursue us, that you love us, that you accept us, and that you will forgive us. And we put all of our trust and faith in you. So God, I pray that you will continue to use your word for us to encounter you. For it's your name we ask and we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you took a next step today, we would love to get to celebrate with you. So please let us know at our website, betterlock.church slash next steps. And to stay connected with you throughout the week, you can download our Better Life app. And if you felt led to give today, please give at our website, betterlife.church slash give. We'll be praying for you this week. Please join us again next time.